This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with a shocking investigation by the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner. The OPCC is looking into allegations that several Vancouver police officers tried to interfere in a car accident investigation. It happened near Metrotown in Burnaby at around 2 Tuesday afternoon when a northbound vehicle on Royal Oak turned left onto Kingsway where it was struck by another vehicle. The driver, a VPD officer, was being questioned by a Burnaby Mountie when her colleagues got involved. Catherine Urquhart has the details. As many as a dozen female Vancouver police officers are under investigation. This follows an incident in Burnaby Tuesday afternoon. Sources say that earlier in the day the women had been attending an off-duty training course at the Odd Squad Productions building hosted by an expert from the UK. Midday, the officers went to Metrotown Mall to practice that training. That's when one officer allegedly made an illegal left-hand turn, crashing into another vehicle. Minutes later, a Burnaby RCMP officer was on scene, along with the VPD members. Sources say a VPD inspector tried to retrieve the phone of the member who crashed. And when the Mountie intervened, she grabbed the RCMP member's arm. It's also alleged a VPD superintendent threatened the Mountie's job and badge. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner told Global News, I can confirm that the VPD has notified us today of an incident between VPD members and the Burnaby RCMP. We are awaiting further information from the VPD before determining appropriate next steps under the Police Act. Burnaby RCMP responded saying, Anytime a fellow police officer is injured, we know that emotions can run high. Burnaby RCMP is currently conducting a thorough investigation into all factors in this incident. The Vancouver Police Department is saying very little about the incident, only acknowledging that they are reviewing the facts. That's leaving many questions unanswered. Among them, did members of the Vancouver Police Department obstruct an investigation and what discipline might those officers face in the weeks ahead. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A Burnaby woman is speaking out after surgery she's waited five years for was postponed at the last minute. She's been living with excruciating pain in her hip, slowly being robbed of her independence. Erin MacArthur reports on her frustration with the sudden cancellation. It's very tiring and depressing and sad. Without her walker, Shirley Colwell doesn't get very far. Her hip causes her so much pain, even the simplest of tasks can take hours. I don't want to be a burden, and I don't have anybody else. Tuesday, the 79-year-old was scheduled for a hip replacement procedure at Vancouver General. She had waited five years for this day fighting to rehab after a heart surgery. Finally, after a few false starts, she was ready, gowned up with an IV in her arm. 
The surgeon had even marked which hip to operate on. Then it was canceled. A lack of post-op beds due to an emergency meant she wouldn't be seen. You get the sails knocked out of you and you're not going. Well, I was devastated. The grandmother understands the need for emergencies to take precedence. What Caldwell can't understand is how the healthcare system could just disregard her so close to the end goal. The system sucks, but, I mean, <laughs> but it's not a nice word. But I mean, it's it's not it's not fair for to treat human beings like that. Vancouver Coastal Health says urgent procedures are still going ahead, but in this case. The surgery previous to the one in question overran its time, which caused a postponement. This postponement was not due to staff shortages. The nurses were incredible there. They all had, they were efficient, they were caring, they did an excellent job with Shirley. So it wasn't their fault, and so we don't know. Cowell now doesn't know when she will get her surgery. She was told anywhere between four and six months. Well, I'll be in a wheelchair, I think. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. An historic agreement has been reached between the B.C. government and Blueberry River First Nations. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on the story. Keith, tell us about this deal and the Supreme Court decision that is involved here. Indeed, indeed, historic, Sophie. So about a year and a half ago, the B.C. Supreme Court issued a landmark uh, judgment uh, concluding that years of industrial development on lands, ancestral lands claimed by the Blueberry uh, River First Nation uh, had the cumulative effect of violating their rights as set out in their tra Treaty 8 treaty. Today is an implementation agreement between the government and that First Nations that will see basically a joint partnership to manage industrial activity in their land. And we're talking about the northeast corner of B.C., the Peace River, area around Fort St. John and north of there and limits the type of industrial activity that can uh, occur there. We caught up uh, at the news conference there with the chief of the Blueberry First Nation who talks about how their land had been sort of destroyed bit by bit over the years. It's been a long battle of protecting our treaty rights to get here. For generations our people have watched as the land of which our way of life depends be broken apart piece by piece. So it's important to note industrial activity will continue to uh, occur there. Oil and gas will continue to be uh, explored as will forestry will continue to be harvested. But there will be limits on the type of activity and First Nations will have a big say in terms of how much activity actually occurs there. Bound to have a big precedent in terms of an impact on other land use decisions involving government and First Nations. Historic indeed. Mm -hmm. I would imagine. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. No arrests so far in a near-fatal shooting on the Granville Strip. Vancouver police say a 32-year-old victim has life-threatening injuries after being shot Tuesday night. It happened near the intersection of Granville and Nelson just after 10 p.m. The area was taped off for several hours as police searched for evidence. We're still determining if this was random, was it targeted, was it gang-related. There's a lot of unknowns right now, and that's something our investigators are working through. Uh, anyone with information is asked to call us. Vancouver police say they've redeployed officers to combat crime in the downtown area, including on the Granville Strip. And the future of Granville Street is before City Council with a promise of more patio space, hotels and daytime activities for families among the ideas being considered. Council will vote at the end of the month on whether to go forward with a planning report. And as Amadagahi tells us, many hope it brings vibrancy and safety back to the Strip. It was a vibrant location. 
it used to be more secure. Ten years ago, Anna Dunder decided the best place to open her restaurant was on the famous Granville Strip. It definitely was very appealing to be in the middle of the nightlife. But since then, she has seen a gradual deterioration, especially through the last few years of the pandemic. That's when more people in the streets decided to join the Granville Street. Every week, like, our alarms go off because someone is trying to push a door or break a window. Judging by the number of businesses who have decided to pack up and leave, the challenges are widely recognized. It started with the closure of Oppenheimer Park in the tent city there. We had um, residents of the park displaced and moved to different areas of the city. And the, the hardest hit areas was the Granville Entertainment District as well as Yale Town. During the pandemic, we saw impacts across the city, but we saw retail closures, for example, the highest in downtown. And within the Downtown, Granville Street was the hardest hit. On Wednesday, Vancouver decision makers received the first presentation of an official city plan dedicated to resuscitating the once iconic street. The city wants Granville to once again become a center for live performance, dining, safe tourism, and a hub full of retail and office space. The best way to bring neighborhoods back to life is really to create those vibrant public spaces, to have people out on the street, and create a place that people want to go. Um, and that creates a fun and a safe environment for everybody. But despite the ambitious plans being drafted up at City Hall, it remains just that. A plan being constructed in different stages over the next 18 months that isn't set for final approval until the spring of 2024. It appears until then, businesses like Anna Donders will have to hold on. This is something that me and all the other um, people in the street that has business are going through. Emadagahi, Global News. The Langley Teachers Association says BC's growing teacher shortage now means their school district could hire uncertified teachers. The association says the district is looking at bringing in teachers who are not fully trained, which leaves many certified teachers working double time to fill in gaps in the classroom. And the union says it'll be students feeling the impact the most. This is the only industry where we're looking to bring in people who are not qualified. Like that's not happening with nurses. You're not going to bring in someone who just has a degree and now they're going to become a nurse. So why is it okay in teaching? We're not in a winning situation here unless we can hire more certified teachers. Um, you know, and, and who's missing out is, is the students. The Ministry of Education says it is working closely with school districts to, su to support them as it addresses labour pressures in the province. A grieving family hit by a heartless thief. The suspect was caught on security camera and what he took might not be worth much on the street, but it has priceless value to a father and daughters who lost their mom. That's next on the News Hour. Campbell River condo residents forced from their homes by a mudslide. That's coming up on the News Hour. Also, the Canadian ultramarathoner attempting to crush an 8,000-kilometer run later. Right now, though, after an unimaginable loss, a Vancouver family is now reeling from another blow after a thief broke into their home over the weekend, stealing irreplaceable keepsakes. Handwritten letters and notes meant for two daughters from a mother who passed away. And as Krista Dow reports, the items they're desperate to get back are worthless to anyone else, but they mean the world to this family.
That's when I saw these. I went, oh, no. Oh, no. These handwritten notes among some of the final messages from Craig Roberts' late wife, Megan. My oldest, eldest, this is an antique bracelet from Granny, XOXO mom. The message is part of gifts to be opened this year. When Megan passed away from cancer in 2021, she left behind special heirlooms for their two daughters, who we've blurred to protect their privacy. The jewelry, similar to these, irreplaceable. She used all of her time that she had left as soon as she got sick and even before that to really just uh, devote herself to documenting this, uh, you know, preparing these little messages and these keepsakes. There he is. Surveillance video shows the thief on the property several times Saturday before he finally breaks into the home, stealing the girl's jewelry, the couple's wedding bands, Megan's Harvard ID card and even their will. This is really scary for, for anyone, but the, you know, the really unsettling part of this is that we realize you know, he was upstairs for three and a half hours. During that time, the alarm motion sensors go off and Roberts is calling his neighbors to check it out, with one neighbor knocking on the door and the suspect even answering, saying the homeowner would be home later. Police were immediately called, but the suspect took off. These irreplaceable items for us, these personal items, that's the, that's the real kick. You know, that's the hardest part, is um, the violation of that. We believe that the suspect may have, been a, uh, may have originated as a porch pirate, somebody who saw an Amazon package um, on the house um, and may have been captured on video, but we still got more work to do. The family, normally very private, are speaking out in hopes someone might recognize these stolen items. My daughter just broke down and, and was sobbing. And I, at that point, I thought to myself, I have to try we have to try to get some of this stuff back. Krista Dow, Global News. A popular Vancouver snowboard shop in Kitsilano has been hit by a group of thieves who made off with as much as $250,000 worth of equipment and clothing. The whole thing was caught on security camera and shows the masked suspects making multiple trips in and out of the boardroom on 4th in what appeared to be a very organized break-in. Grace Key reports. These thieves knew exactly what to go for. Four, possibly five suspects snatching armloads of expensive merchandise. They broke in 4 a.m. Tuesday morning. You'd think it was a smash and grab, but they came back for more almost two hours later. Yeah, that's the part that we're kind of shocked about, really. Like that they came most, in the past when I've been broken into, it's a, it's a one and done. So to have them coming back is, is another very brazen, maneuver on their part. They took the ends of this rack, they took the jackets off this rack. Store owner Murray Fraser is tallying up the loss, expected to be more than $150,000, including a limited edition snowboard worth $2,000. The thieves have taken quite a few, potentially over 15 or 20 2023 snowboards from us. One piece wetsuits, $600 each, a safe, employee files, and an entire section of prepaid customer items. They took our whole hold section and online sales as well. So big blow to the business for us for that is that product's already been paid for or locked down by a lot of customers. So we're pretty much losing those sales. When this happens, the, one of the biggest people, oh, you get your money back from the insurance company. Well, you get our cost back, but we don't get the markup and that product's gone and we can't restock now because it's the end of the season. So whatever product's gone, we can't get back and sell. So we'll sell what's left. 
The thieves pried open the back door and disabled the alarm. Police are now investigating. So our officers are looking to obtain video. We're reviewing this video, seeing if we can ID the suspects. We'll also see if there's any forensic uh, evidence available to help move this investigation along. The blessing is that it happened now, not in the middle of December. So uh, you got to always just take it and uh, move forward. The boardroom will be back open on Thursday, but they'll have to hire a third-party inventory company to help determine exactly what was stolen. Grace Key, Global News. It has been two years since Trina Hunt disappeared. Ultimately, it became a murder case which remains unsolved. Coming up, what her close family says about it. Plus... Wade didn't just have my back. He had my side. Our community comes together to say goodbye, the final farewell for a Nelson police officer who died in an avalanche. Good evening and good news. A tow truck is finally on scene to this police incident here on Highway 1 in Burnaby. It's westbound just before Kensington. Traffic is backed up from Brunette in Coquitlam. Today's Lotto 649 gold ball jackpot is $14 million plus the classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway One in Burnaby. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. It has been two years since the disappearance of Trina Hunt, a mystery that gripped Metro Vancouver for weeks before her body was finally found in hope. Hunt was well-known in her Port Moody neighborhood, and the case was well-publicized. But as Julie Nolan reports, her killer still has not been brought to justice. Two years after Trina Hunt disappeared and all is quiet in this Port Moody neighborhood, just like her murder case. Three months ago, the home she shared with her husband was listed for sale for nearly $2.4 million. Listing photos show a home in pristine condition, that price now dropping by more than $400,000. An extensive search on Heritage Mountain was frantically underway when the 48-year-old first went missing. Two months later, her remains were found near Hope, south of Silver Creek. IHIT took over the investigation. Her death ruled a homicide. But this one in particular um, seems to really touch the heartstrings of a lot of people. Hunt had been reported missing by her husband, Ian, who told police he had last seen her the morning of January 18, 2021, before he left for work. The previous weekend, he said they'd gone to Hope to visit a favorite camping spot while doing a digital detox. Last June, a man was arrested in connection with the case, but later released without charges. The likelihood of it being some random abduction is probably like less than 1%, so probably someone close to her that knew her, realistically. IHIT is not providing updates on the case, but Trina Hunt's family released this statement. This journey has been incredibly difficult with never-ending waves of grief, anguish and trauma repeatedly engulfing us. Nothing about our path has been simple. We so wish Trina knew of all the support that has embraced her these past two years. We continue to thank you for the ongoing positive comments and support. Your kindness has truly helped us cope. 
the family of Trina Hunt continues to offer a $50,000 reward for information in the case. IHIT also maintains its appeal to the public that will lead to charges. Julie Nolan, Global News. Hundreds gathered at the funeral for a Nelson police officer killed in an avalanche last week. Uh, Wade was one of our office pranksters, but definitely in a positive way. He kept everybody going. He kept it light. Uh, everybody loved working with him. So, you know, it was nice that we could put that spin on this celebration of life and the final farewell to him. Constable Wade Tittemore was remembered by family and friends at a service held at Nelson's Royal Theatre. His sister says he was an athlete with a great sense of humor who put his family first. Wade didn't just have my back, he had my side. When I was looking for pictures of Wade for today, it hit me I don't have any photos of him. It wasn't because he wasn't there at most of those events. It was because he was standing right beside me. Tittemore leaves behind his wife and two sons. He was caught in an avalanche near Caslow alongside fellow constable Matthew Nolay, who is still recovering in hospital. A dump truck fire snarled rush hour traffic this morning on the Port Man. The truck caught fire as it neared the east end of the bridge, at one point shutting down all eastbound lanes. And even once the fire was out, traffic was reduced to just two lanes. It took firefighters 10 minutes to extinguish the blaze, but the flames destroyed the truck's entire front end, and it caused major headaches for anyone trying to cross the Fraser River as cars diverted to other bridges. No one was hurt. And another truck losing its load in South Vancouver this morning. It flipped at the corner of Southeast Marine Drive and Fraser Street, spilling a load of rusted, recyclable steel all over the crosswalk. Vancouver police say the truck should not have been on the road because it had a flat tire, no load covering, and the driver didn't complete a proper pre-trip inspection. They say it's lucky no one was injured. Just ahead, reimagining the Royal BC Museum. What one region wants may not reflect what other regions want. Your chance to weigh in on what the new exhibits should look like later. And the Campbell River condo building damaged by a landslide. And what's next for residents? Good evening. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight with just a bit of leftover volume eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Big news late today out of New Zealand, popular Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is resigning. She says she will stay on no longer than February 7th. Ardern says the job was the greatest role of her life, but she has run out of energy. I know what this job takes, and I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. It's that simple. Ardern became leader of New Zealand's Labour Party in 2017 at the age of 37, the youngest in the party's history, and was elected prime minister in a landslide. She easily won a second term in 2020. A general election will be held October 14th. 
Well, Canada is sending more military aid to Ukraine. The defense minister made a surprise visit to Kyiv, announcing Ottawa would ship 200 armored vehicles to Ukraine's military. Anita Anand's trip comes on the same day a Ukrainian cabinet minister and others lost their lives in a helicopter crash. Kyle Benning has more. A few solemn moments for Canada's defense minister during a surprise visit to Ukraine. Anita Anand toured the capital, Kyiv, paying respects to those who died fighting the Russian invasion. While next to her Ukrainian counterpart, she announced Canada would be sending an additional 200 armored vehicles to Ukraine's military. The cost of doing nothing outweighs the aid that we are putting on the table as a country. The $90 million investment comes on top of 39 armored vehicles Ottawa has already sent, pushing Canada's military support past the $1 billion mark. Anand's trip comes as Ukraine faces another tragedy. Interior Minister Denis Monastrysky and 14 others died after a helicopter crash in a suburb just east of the capital. It's unclear whether the crash was an accident or related to the war. President Volodymyr Zelensky started his remarks during the World Economic Forum's annual meeting with a moment of silence for all of those who died in support of the country. His speech, noting the quick action needed by allies. The time the free world uses to think is used by the terrorist state to kill. His call comes days before a U.S.-led meeting in Germany to discuss further military support to Ukraine. Ukraine's defense minister noted Finland and Poland will send Leopard 2 tanks to the country and is urging Germany to do the same. Meanwhile, allies say the only way the war can end is with all parties coming to the table. What we do know is that what happen, uh, happens around that negotiating table is totally dependent on the strength of the battlefield. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg urged allies to continue shipping weapons as that would be the way to peace. Kyle Benning, Global News. The Royal BC Museum is looking for your input on a revitalization plan. A rebuild originally announced by the NDP government last summer was scrapped a month later after public outcry about the cost. As Richard Zussman reports, the museum is now hoping British Columbians will share what they want for the facility. For some, this is a sign of progress. For others, a sign of frustration. The third floor of the Royal BC Museum closed. The reopening may not, in fact, be in the way that it was before. We'll know more once we hear from the different communities. Public consultation now underway into the future of what this entire institution will look like. So, of course, we're in the room with the very famous Woolly Mammoth. Led by Alicia Dubois, the new CEO. Everything open to discussion. Instead of looking at our history from an Indigenous perspective, which is separate from the non-Indigenous perspective, we're hoping that the engagement will allow us to create a much more mosaic, integrated approach. The First People's Gallery on the third floor will be used to host First Nations consultation, while Old Town remains closed to the public over concerns of the province's colonial past. The bones are there. It has not been demolished. There's a lot of conversation about it being torn down and all of the rest. It hasn't been. So perhaps what this means is there's a reimagining of Old Town. Coming this summer is a brand new T-Rex exhibit on the third floor, the first big-scale anchor attraction since the province announced last year the museum would be closed and replaced by a nearly $800 million new museum, 
a decision reversed by then-Premier John Horgan after significant backlash. The province will make its future funding decisions based on what unfolds in public information sessions. Looking well. It's unfortunate that we went through a bit of a bumpy time with the museum, um, but I think with this consultation over the next three years, uh, I think we have a chance to really find out what British Columbians want. The museum still needs seismic upgrading, and there's been a drop off in revenues due to the pandemic and the controversy over a new facility. If there has been any reluctant from a donor perspective to contribute to the museum that our efforts and our intentions and how genuine we are will be very obvious and that that will invite people back. The museum and the province keeping an open mind about how reflecting on British Columbia's past will be dealt with in the future. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The federal government and the Musqueam First Nation are announcing some major renovations upcoming to the aging Musqueam Elders Centre. More than $130,000 will be spent on upgrades. The building itself originally dates back to Expo 86 when it was built as the South Korean Pavilion. The facility was located there, like I said, relocated there in 1986 after Expo. Um, this is the first renovations that we've had. So, you know, uh, the minister touched on issues with the window. The, uh, the, the quality back in 1986 is not the standards of today. So to try to get the uplift and get those uh, standards there because we have uh, numerous community elders gatherings, a health facility there, it's there. So um, it's all the major um, infrastructure that met code in 1986 that might not meet the code in uh, 2023. Health Canada has accepted a new drug submission designed to protect infants from RSV. It's called Nirsevimab and it's the first antibody treatment of its kind to protect infants against severe lower respiratory tract infections during their first RSV season. Health Canada has accepted the submission for review and should make a decision by the end of the year. The drug has already been approved by the European Commission and the UK as the first and only broadly protective option against RSV in newborns and infants. Still ahead, a big step for an ultramarathoner. My first run was two kilometers long, and then I had to stop because it was too hard. Well, his endurance is much better now. A Canadian runner about to tackle the ultimate test. And later in sports, Bo and Boudreaux, what the Canucks captain says about his embattled coach. Join the new Global BC Arts and Culture Scene segment as we explore all the people and places that make our creative community so special. So come make the scene. The Global BC Arts and Culture Scene on Global BC and BC One. Well, what a frightening night it must have been for residents of two Campbell River condo buildings. Just after 7 in the evening, a mudslide rolled down the hillside, forcing them to flee. Jennifer Palmer reports on the overnight evacuation, the cleanup, and when people may be allowed to return home. A shock for residents, a landslide wiping out an above-ground parkade and leaving mud and debris around their buildings. The slide forcing the evacuation of about 30 residents from two condo buildings. All residents that were impacted by this had the opportunity to uh, receive assistance and uh, accommodation was provided for those who required assistance. The slide happened around 7 o'clock Tuesday night in the 700 block of Island Highway South in Campbell River. It was raining at the time. A second slide took place around 7.30. 
The city calls that one minor with no safety concerns. Luckily, nobody was injured. The site around both buildings has been secured. A geotechnical study is taking place. Part of our review with the uh, geotech professional will be to look and see if any other parts of the slope are impacted, either related directly to this slide or potentially associated with uh, activity in this particular area. The city says it evacuated residents as a precautionary measure. Two reception centers were made available for displaced residents. Some are being allowed back temporarily into their homes for provisions. The Salvation Army has about six volunteers there on site to take care of any emotional support needs of these people. Emergency support services have been enacted. It's not known when residents will be able to return home. We're, we're concerned about people's safety, so we want to make sure that the slope is stable to the point where it is safe for them to be back. We hope that they can be back in a very short period of time. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Power of Mother Nature. It is amazing. All right, it was nice to see a break in the clouds and some sunshine out there today. Let's see if we get more of it from Christy right now. Thankfully, we've got a terrific trend. You're going to love this five-day forecast, that's for sure. Uh, those of you, though, in the Campbell River area dealing with that, we do have a little bit more rainfall on the way for you, but nowhere compared to what you have seen in the last little while. Here's a look. So this is the front we dealt with yesterday. You can see it has pushed further inland. We caught a nice little break towards the end of the day. It's this next system, though, that's going to drive onto the north coast region. So the bulk of the moisture will be north of our region, uh, anywhere from 10 to 14 millimeters for, our, uh, for that region but for our area we're talking about a couple of millimeters that's about it but we certainly will see some sprinkles especially in areas like Campbell River here's a look at the reason why so by tomorrow morning we are going to see increasing cloud we will see bright conditions tomorrow but we will have a fair amount of cloud still in the forecast that system though targeting the north and central coast as you can see through the morning hours and then it shifts down south but weakens as it does so impacting sort of northern Vancouver Island region and potentially just into the Campbell River area as well. For our region, we'll see bright conditions, but a few sprinkles aren't out of the question, especially as we head through the overnight period. Friday, though, it looks like we are going to enjoy some dry conditions and breaks of blue sky once again. So here's your forecast for your Thursday. So the bulk of the rainfall across the north and central coast, areas like Terrace will start off with uh, snowfall and it change over to rainfall. Uh, sunshine, though, in through the interior, and we will see some rain across the west coast of Vancouver Island and northern sections, but most areas will be dry tomorrow. I've kept in a slight chance of showers, especially out through the Fraser Valley, and that slight chance of showers is really more so into the latter part of the day, maybe overnight. Friday, it looks like we're back to a bright day. Again, we'll see a fair amount of cloud in the forecast, but we'll see bright conditions, certainly with that mix of sun and cloud. And then Saturday, a few showers before sun returns on Sunday. So that's a pretty great uh, five-day forecast. We haven't had a stretch like that in quite some time. Tonight, central windows, weather window coming to you from the Sunshine Coast, looking out over the ocean, where you can see some towering cumulus off in the distance. Linda, thanks so much for sharing that with us. Thank you, Linda. And thank you, Christy. <laughs> and I'll step what? back in. Haven't been a huge <laughs> amount of attention to the actual hockey being played by the Canucks for maybe obvious reasons, but it seems like there's still a lot of drama, mm -hmm. Squire. Well, there's always drama. It's like a soap Good. opera down there. It really yeah. is. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux, who's one of the main stars of that soap opera, says he doesn't feel he's being unfairly treated by Jim Rutherford at all. I'm a big boy. I wanted to become an NHL coach, and I know it's not all going to be rainbows and roses. And right now, all he is getting is poked by the thorns on those roses. <laughs> Tonight, the Canucks are hosting Tampa Bay at Rogers Arena. 
Also coming up tonight, the Canadian ultra marathoner in it for the long run. Squire, I was going to say had his act together, but he always has his act together. <laughs> well, you were that's very kind of you to say, you but in actual to, fact, it's like rare really that I have want. my act together. It, what did you really want to do today? Just now. Just now. You just did it in the commercial break. Oh, I wanted to walk towards the camera. Well, but it, No, because it'll put it out of focus. <laughs> but, it, but the dramatic effect. Would it would be okay. dramatic. <laughs> it would scare small children as well if well, I got any closer to, to this camera. Um, the Vancouver Canucks have Tampa Bay in town tonight. The Canucks are coming off that five-game road trip. One of those games was in Tampa. They only had one win on that tri uh, trip, but uh, the one thing about it, I would have to say, outside of the Winnipeg game, you didn't see Vancouver quit in the games against Pittsburgh and the Lightning and the Panthers. Now, the Canucks aren't good enough right now. Their roster's not good enough, but they keep playing hard for Bruce Boudreaux when a lot of other teams would, in that kind of atmosphere, just not have any drive for a strong third period. I think the players love playing for Boudreaux. They feel responsibility for what's happening with him. Here is Jay with more on that and more on the game tonight. Vancouver Canucks back home after that five-game road trip, but their only victory came Sunday in Carolina when they came back to defeat the Carolina Hurricanes. They begin a four-game homestand tonight, but there's still a dark cloud hanging over Rogers Arena and this organization. On Monday, team president Jim Rutherford attempted to clear the air surrounding his captain, Bo Horvat, who looks like he will be traded, and his head coach, Bruce Boudreaux, an NHL coach that has won over 600 games in his career. But when you hear your team president say that he has, in fact, been talking to potential candidates to replace you as a head coach, how would you feel? I don't think anybody in the world likes to hear negative stuff uh, about themselves. But, I mean, if it's, you know, we talk about it and... The reasoning behind it and it goes with goes with the territory I mean I'm a big boy I wanted to become an NHL coach and I know it's not all going to be rainbows and roses so I mean you have to take the good with the bad yeah it can't be easy you know coming in the rink every single day and 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 not knowing your your fate or what's going on or um, having that negative stuff being said about you obviously it's it's got to be tough but um, he just keeps powering through it, and that's what I admire about him. So there's several storylines here at Rogers Arena. Of course, there's the Vancouver Canucks and the fact that they're 12 points out of a playoff spot. But if you're a fan of the Tampa Bay Lightning and Steve Stamkos, he still remains on 499 career goals. He's only scored two goals in his last 14 games. Maybe, just maybe, goal number 500 comes tonight against the Vancouver Canucks. And not only would Stamkos be relieved, so would his teammates. When milestones happen, um, they don't come around a whole lot and because this core has been together for so long um, everybody wants to see this happen for him and you know at times you know you just don't want your team to be looking for him so much that it becomes an issue but he's uh, he's working his tail off like I said put his, himself in position to score eventually they're going to drop and a whole bunch more after that are going to go into. And perhaps the biggest storyline here at Rogers Arena heading into tonight's game against the Tampa Bay Lightning a tribute and a salute to Gino Ojuk. Look on the back of the Canucks helmets, you'll see number 29. That's for Gino tonight. It's going to be a special evening as Canucks Nation, the Vancouver Canucks in the entire province, salutes Gino Ojic. From Rogers Arena, Jay Janower, Global Sports.
Okay, as Jay just said, the Canucks are going to have a ceremony for Gino Ojic before the game. You're going to see a number of former players there, including Trevor Linden, we are told. Uh, Tampa head coach John Cooper was born and raised in Prince George. He has a lot of admiration for Gino. And he told us a story today about Lightning assistant coach and former NHL player Rod Zettler, Zettler make that, who ran up against Gino a lot in his career. A quick story. So Rob Zettler on our staff. And... He was playing, and I guess he hit Burry a little suspect. And he's like, oh, my God, I know what's coming now. And he said he was looking, he was looking, he was looking, and Gino stepped on the ice and gave him the courtesy, don't you do that again, or you know what's coming. And Zet said he was, like, straight for the rest of the game. He, he thanks Gino for not uh, doing what he thought was coming. And so I thought that was, uh, that's how much clout Gino had uh, on the ice. and. Um, I didn't know him personally, but all I know is he was a great teammate. Whitecaps exhibition game. And look at the Whitecaps uniforms. No bell. No nothing. What it should say is your name here. <laughs> if you want. They're taking on uh, Hamburger SV, which is in the German second division. And Robert Glatzel scores a goal in the fourth minute to make it one nothing against the Caps. Nice save there by Thomas Assault. Now, Vancouver, this is their first exhibition game. They weren't quite up to snuff yet against this side and this is a nice goal once again by Robert Glatzel. Nice passing. So Vancouver loses this one 2-0. They'll take on Wolfsburger of Austria. From Hamburger to Wolfsburger. I know. I watched this whole game. I was getting hungrier and hungrier the whole time. But the Hamburger gave him a good game. Dennis Shapovalov looks like he's just come from surfing with those shorts. I like those. This is a second round action for him. Taking on uh, Taro Daniel at the Australian Open. Shapovalov won the first set 6-3. He loves the yells to his uh, compatriots in the box. That made it uh, two sets to love, 7-6 there. And this is match points for Shapovalov's on the round three. Bianca Andreescu was knocked out. And last night, uh, Rafael Nadal was taken out in the first round. But part of the reason was he had a hip injury and was basically unable to run in the third set. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. From Florida to Quebec, the hard way coming up next. Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead to what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, another bad day for a company that was once a darling of the local tech industry. Hootsuite says it's laying off 70, or pardon me, 7% of its staff, or about 70 people. This follows earlier rounds of layoffs in both November and August. And that's not the only thing the company announced today. We'll have more tonight. Plus, the city of Kelowna is trying to put a stop to those so-called freedom rallies taking place since the pandemic. We'll tell you how they plan to do that at 11. Sophie? All right, looking forward to it. Thanks, Jordan. There is a lot of traffic from Canada to South Florida with snowbirds often enjoying the sunshine. But for most, flying is the only option for travel. Not for one Montreal area man, though. He is planning to make the trip on foot. Phil Carpenter has his story. So I'm taking an even longer way. Johan Rock is about to set out across 16 states and two provinces from Key West, Florida, via the Appalachian Trail, to the Gaspé. Gaspé literally means end of the land in the Mi'kmaq language. So when I stop, it's really because there is no more land. 
The Longer resident plans to make the trip by foot starting February 26th. He'll be running. It will be a long, long, long run. 8,000 kilometers in all. If he completes it, it'll be the software developer's longest ultramarathon. He hopes to do it in five months. In 2020, he ran 1,000 kilometers from Percé to Montreal. The big question many have is why? It's more a mental exploration of how you can force yourself to keep going forward, even when everything screams, you must stop. Rock started testing his limits 17 years ago when he began running. My first run was two kilometers long, and then I had to stop because it was too hard. His wife, Anne, also an ultramarathoner and a writer, will accompany him at first. I will uh, run with him uh, one week. With many projects and four children, the pair do have their hands full, but they make it work. I like to help him, and he helped me, so that's it. She and Rock say the key is to take things a step at a time, not to get overwhelmed. If you think about what you have to do at the starting line, uh, no, <laughs> that would be too long, I don't want to do it. One sports psychologist says the drive to test boundaries is part of being human. He'd obviously used up his last ounce of energy. And points to athletes like Roger Bannister, who broke the four-minute mile in the 1950s. The experts in the world told them it was physiologically impossible to do it, that you might do irreparable damage to your body. Rock says he starts thinking about his next challenge soon, and at age 49, he doesn't see a finish line just yet. Phil Carpenter, Global News, Montreal. He, yeah, he's right. He is going to run out of land at the end of this one. So Maybe he can swim after that. I don't know. Yeah, he'll have to stop there. Yeah, that's a duathlon then, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, Christy, final word on the weather. Yeah, well, Squire is much different than your uh, Squire sprint that we determined yesterday. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, so no, I wouldn't want to do anything more than that. <laughs> Five-day forecast looking great. If you are a runner or attempting to do the Squire Sprint, you've got lots of uh, dry weather on the way over the next little while. Looks beautiful. Thanks very much, Christy. Yes, we still need to install the hall cam so we can <laughs> see Squire sprinting down mm -hmm. to the studio. Although we took, it was very chill today. I was. was I, I walked slowly and carefully. It's a Squire but, stroll. Thanks for watching, everybody. Good night, all. <laughs>